I want to take you to another story, one woman's story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Making your way there. It's a familiar story. It's about the, we, we call her the Samaritan woman who came to the well at a time all by herself. And Jesus, the Gospel of John says, he had to go through Samaria. The reason he had to go through Samaria because there was someone there who needed to hear the message of his hope, forgiveness, and love that came through being the Messiah, the anointed one of the Christ, and uh, the one who's come from God. And so he makes himself known to this lady, and it, be- it be- becomes an interesting dialogue of her sharing her story and him sharing truth and how this divine appointment became a divine intervention in her life. And I want you to understand that all of us can be a part of divine appointments and experience divine, uh, let, watch divine intervention take place. God appointments, where he sets them up. We cross people's paths, what may appear to be accidental, but they're not. They're always intentional. And they're not necessarily coincidental, they're on purpose. And so what we find is then as we become a part of planting the seed or sowing and, and, and the gospel and then watering perhaps seed that's already been planted, God gets the increase. So one woman's story talks about that very well. Now, let me tell you about the Samaritan people. Uh, they were a product of uh, the dispersion that took place when the Assyrians conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel, the ten northern and the two southern, they had divided uh, uh, because of uh, differences in policy, basically, uh, and some other things that took place in the tribes um, uh, over leadership. And so what took place, the ten northern tribes were conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a very cruel people. And they were, one of the things that made them cruel is they sought to destroy people's heritage and lineage. And so when they would conquer anybody, they would take them and transplant them somewhere else. They would separate husband and wife and children and parents, and they would never see each other again. And they would have to start afresh and anew. And in doing so, they, uh, can you give me a little more money? Uh, in doing so, uh, they would destroy their past and who they were. And so in the process, they had done this with the ten northern tribes. They are still called the ten lost tribes today. And so what you find is they, they took them away. But now some of them came back to the homeland, some of them escaped, and they begin to have a sense of community uh, in, in the area of, of the ten northern tribes. And so what happened was the Assyrians said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move our people there, and we're going to intermingle and intermarry with these people, and they still will not have their own identity. And so that's what took place. They, they intermarried, and they, bring, they brought their Assyrian culture to these people. And so what you had was a blend of Judaism and paganism. And the Assyrians brought their idolatry, their tradition, their ritual, and their philosophy of gods to the Jews. And the Jews held on to the fact there is one true God. Uh, however, these other gods may exist in some form, and they begin to be, have a, a half-truth belief system, uh, partial truth. And so in that backdrop, here is a woman who's been living in this mindset of religion for her generation and the previous generations. And so she finally comes to the well, and Jesus meets her there and begins to explain truth to her. So in John chapter 4, I I just want you to to read with me for a second. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to catch 
what he's saying. They were at Jacob's well. Uh, in verse 6, uh, Jesus was worn out from his journey. He sat down at the well. It was about 6 in the evening. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, here's what happened. He said, give me a drink, Jesus said to her. And, and verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why do they not associate? Because they had compromised their identity as Jews by being uh, interwoven uh, with Assyrians. <clears throat> the intermarriage. The inner all, but all, they, they no longer were Jews, and the Jews had wanted nothing to do with them. They thought they were unclean. And so in doing that, she was amazed, number one, that a man would talk to her because that was not culturally acceptable. But secondly, a Jew would speak to her. And so she was intrigued by this. She said, why are you talking to me? And, and then Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, that's a good thing to underline, if you knew the gift of God, and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And then the dialogue begins. I want you to notice basically four things about this woman's story. Number one, she was disappointed with her life. Here is a woman that is coming to the well by herself. This was not the norm in that day. Actually, the women going to the well was a social encounter. It was kind of like going shopping at the mall. All right, y'all got together and took off and talked and had a good time and laughed on the way and got the water and went back, laughed and talked, shared stories. And it was a big, a big social event of let's get together and go somewhere and let's go to the well and meet and talk. And while they're all drawing water, they're talking with one another and they're sharing with one another. And this is a part of, of who they are. The sad thing about this story is this woman is traveling along. She's not socializing with any of her peers. She has no uh, group around her that's talking and sharing stories and laughing. She's simply making the journey by herself because she's become an outcast in the midst of, a, of an outcast people. And so she has a sense of loneliness and emptiness. She is disappointed with her life. It's not where she thought she would be. Living with that emptiness, experiencing loneliness, it's now cast. She was standing in the, she had no standing in the community. She had no significance. She just simply existed. Uh, she had no social interaction with her peers. She's walking to the well by herself. That's just unheard of. She experiences a spiritually, uh, she has a, experiences a spiritual void. There's something missing in her life, but she doesn't know how to define it. I wonder how many people are around us like that, that they know that something's wrong with their life. They don't have that peace that Elaine talked about. They don't, they don't have that sense of security and confidence in the Lord. They just simply get through day by day uncertain about tomorrow and oftentimes uncertain about their eternity and where they would spend it. And in so doing... She's living with this spiritual void, also an emotional vacuum. She seems to be traveling her life's journey alone. And that's very hard. You ever wondered how many people around us are really lonely? I wonder how many people sit here today, and the truth is, you're somewhat lonely. In the midst of this crowd today, you feel a sense of loneliness. 
very easy in our culture today. We're almost experiencing a disconnect, even in the midst of crowds. However, she's dealing with who she is, and she begins to have to face what's really happening in her life when Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? And she said, man, why are you talking to me? Who, what is this all about? He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to bring fulfillment and satisfaction to your life, to bring purpose to your life and to bring meaning if you knew who I was. And the dialogue begins. The second thing we know is she was discouraged with her failures. Jesus said, go and call your husband. Bring him back. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Can you imagine how startled she was when he said that? Because she doesn't know this man. This man's never been to her town, never been in her neighborhood, never been on her street. She's meeting him for the first time, and yet he says, I know all about you. I understand what's happened in your life. I care about what's happened in your life. And she says, I know. Now, she was discouraged with her failures. Can you imagine how it must have felt for for all of a sudden her failures to be exposed by this man and say, you've had five failed marriages. Now, let me put that in perspective so we won't misunderstand. In that culture, in that day, a man could divorce his wife if she burned the bacon. And it happened. Yeah, you burned the bacon. That wasn't a good meal today. You're out. So evidently, she has failed perhaps as being a good cook a good housekeeper, a good spouse. There's no telling what all has run through her mind of how have I failed to have had five marriages and not one of them work. And finally, she says, I'm giving up on marriage. I don't want that anymore because that hasn't worked for me. So I'm just going to try the alternative. And Jesus said, I know what's going on in your life. Can I tell you something that's real significant about this? He knew her at her, at her, at her worst. And yet... He still offered her a relationship. He still loved her. That's the amazing thing about our Savior. He demonstrates his love toward us that he would die on the cross. And we know we, we, and we come to the reality that the only way we love him is because he loved us first. That's how that works. It doesn't work any other way. He loves me first. And when he loves me first, I can have the opportunity to respond to him and his grace. And with faith, I can enter a relationship with him. I can love him back. Jesus is saying to this dear woman, I sure love you. I've traveled here just to talk to you. I know about your failures. I know that you failed in relationships. You have flawed relationships. There's no satisfaction in your life. There's no fulfillment. I know. That's why I'm here. We have the blessed opportunity to go and meet people with the good news that God cares about you no matter how much you failed. No matter how flawed your life is, God loves you. He's coming to meet you where you are. We get to be a part of an army that shares this with people 
on a regular basis. We call it faith. We, we come together at those six weeks at a time and go out on Monday nights and share with people and, and, and talk with people. We, and we share our story. We share the things that, that help them come to understand what it means to have a relationship with God. It's an amazing journey that I, if you've never taken with us, I certainly hope that you'll prayerfully consider doing that this time. And let us spend some time training you on Sunday night and your children will be taken care of and everybody's going to be taken care of because we've got a lot of things going on at the same time on Sunday night. And on Monday night we go. And if you've been faith trained, man, you need to be a part of what Monday night's fresh and anew and help us penetrate the darkness all around us. So as we look at this, she was discouraged with her failures. How many people around us are discouraged with their failures? They think they've been too far gone. Never forget, I had a man coming to me one time. Uh, he had been coming to the church for a good while and hearing sermons. And, and I had a chance to talk to him a little bit uh, where he worked. I'd go by and actually see him where he worked, just engage in conversation. So finally, he said, I'm going to come by and talk to you. I've been listening to you, and I just got to talk to you. And so he came by the office. We talked. He said, you know, Pastor, I got to ask you a question. He said, I've really broken all the Ten Commandments. Is there any hope for me? The answer is yes. There's hope for you. That's why Jesus died on the cross. For all of us that have broken the commandments. And so he came to a point to receive Christ. To have a brand new beginning. They moved and relocated. He has been involved in the church today. But I tell you, there's people all around us that are discouraged. There's a third thing we must see. She was disillusioned with religion. Disillusioned with religion. Hmm. She says, well, you know, I've heard a lot about worship. You Jews say you got to go to Jerusalem and worship. My fathers say we go up here and worship. And, and here's how we've been doing worship in Samaria, uh, which was kind of a combination of, of uh, ritual and ceremony and stuff that didn't matter to God, stuff that God didn't even like. And yet, they combined with the fact we're worshiping the one true God. And then said, okay, and then you guys go to Jerusalem and y'all just worship the way you do with the rituals and ceremonies. And Jesus said, I understand what you're saying, but please understand. And what you're saying is, I'm not sure who's really right. I've heard so much and I hear so much, I'm not sure what is really true. And Jesus said, let me tell you the truth. It doesn't matter whether you worship in the mountain or Jerusalem. What matters is you worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so they, he says, I want to tell you about what really works in your life. It's not about the ritual and the religion and the ceremony. It's not about the uncertainty of which way is the right way. Uh, there's only one way, the one that God has ordained. And while she was uncertain of which was the best way, she was also untouched by the religious practice that she was engaged in, and she was still thirsty spiritually. That's what he was saying. If you come to me and who I am, I'm going to take care of that spiritual thirst, that emptiness in your life that's not filled with your religious practice and your religious philosophy. Religion doesn't really help anybody. It takes a genuine experience of faith that brings you into a personal relationship with Christ. That's what makes the difference. And so uh, she was disillusioned with religion because it hadn't worked. 
How many people would say that today? Man, I have tried going to church. It didn't work. I've tried being better. It didn't work. I still have this void in my life, this vacuum in my life. Nothing seems to have changed, although I've tried very, very hard. I know people like that. So do you. And we have the opportunity to go and share with them how they can really know the truth about God, not about what some people say, what some religions say. Can I share something with you that's very important? I'm reading a book on the millennials, and it's been very eye-opening. It's about the generations from the ages of 11 to 31. If you're from 11 to 31, raise your hand. Figure out how old you are. 11 to 31, raise your hand. Raise your hand. 11 to 31. All right? Okay, good. Good. Your generation, only 16% of this generation has an interest in religion. Understand that. Only has an interest. Doesn't mean they're interested in Christianity. Religion to them is a broad term of, I don't know which way is the right way. I'm open to Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, I'm open to all these things. 16%. If you go back about a a few generations prior to the boomers, 65% of that generation had an interest in Christianity. Talk about a change. So what... It's taking place. There's a disillusionment in religion. They're disillusioned. They're looking for truth. And we are a people that have the answer. And somehow we need to be out there planting the seed and watering the seed that God may get the increase. We must go that he may work, that they will come. That's how it works. Not rocket science. It just takes someone who's willing to go and share with someone. Can I tell you something that happened this week? I was kind of, it, I, I, God knew I needed a blessing because it's been, you know, a tough week and didn't get, the, got out of sync with the weather and all that kind of stuff. Uh, on Friday morning, I was trying to watch the weather and make sure everything was good and, and, and hoping the ice would melt and all that kind of stuff. And I and, uh, flipped through and, and I all of a sudden landed on the view. Now, uh, when I mention The View, do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you watch The View? Raise your hand. We will pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I, you know, the view, the view is a secular talk kind of show. It's a, it's a good show. Got some neat people on it, okay? And, you know, they, have, they have guests on it. It's really good. Uh, it is a secular show. And I say that they, you know, it is a secular show. It's designed to appeal to those who basically are secular in their thinking and the philosophy of life. On the show is Elizabeth Hasselbeck, which she is a believer. And, and so I, every once in a while I kind of go, well, I wonder what she's going to say today. And everybody's going to give her a hard time because she's probably yeah, maybe the only one. But uh, uh, so I stopped for a moment because they were in a different format. There was four of them sitting around a table. And I thought, well, I wonder what they're doing today. And so uh, they were talking about their favorite book. Did any of you watch the? Did you even see the show? It's, okay, well, this is going to be all new to you. Good, okay. So here's the thing. They were talking about the book this past year that impacted their life and really made an impression or helped them in some way. And I thought, well, let's be here. Let's see what they say, you know. And I'm, and I'm not expecting a lot. I'm just kind of, you know, low expectations. But I went, okay, we'll go. And so uh, Barbara Walters talked about a children's book that she thought was adorable and great and all that kind of stuff. And it was good. Yeah, it's great. Nothing wrong with that. And, and uh, that was good. So this is a fun book. I read I enjoyed it. And Elizabeth Hasselbeck said, well, let me tell you the book I've, I've read that, and has been a lot to me over the years. 
is uh, the five love languages. I'm very aware of the book. Uh, matter of fact, we've taught the class here at church for marriage. And, and so we're, I'm thinking, and she talks about how it ministered to her and her, and her husband and, and how that, that it helped them in their marriage. Sometimes marriage was tough, and they're learning how to communicate their love and how they speak the same language or speak the language of partner's love. And it's, it was a great commentary in a brief time on the book. I thought, well, that's pretty neat. Got a little, little exposure there for, for something that has a little spirituality to it. I thought it was good. And then the lady next to her, and I do not know her name, but the lady next to her uh, said... Well, let me tell you about the book that I have read that has helped me understand spiritual things. I'm going, whoa, it's interesting. Now, the word spiritual can mean a lot of things in this generation. So you kind of go, okay, what's it going to say? But uh, she said, uh, and she held up This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. I thought, whoa, it's pretty good. Uh, the, the series of Peretti writes is basically a Christian novels. About He takes the Bible and puts it in novel form. And in the, this present darkness, he talks about angels, angels and demons and, and how that spiritual realm works around the, in our lives. And she says, I have come to understand these things, how the spiritual world works, that I've enjoyed this book. I'm thinking, that's pretty good. Hey, who would have thought? And I'm thinking, okay, the next one is Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> All right. Very funny lady. Uh Never had any indication of spiritual life. Anyway, she, uh, she says, well, let me tell you the book that has helped me deal with the loss of a family member. I don't understand death. She's kind of talking about the, the mystery of death and the struggle she's having of dealing with grief. And it was pretty open. I thought it was pretty good. And she said, and this is the book I'm reading. It's had impact on my life. Grief Experienced is the title, and the author is C.S. Lewis. I'm going, whoa, Jesus must be fixing to come back. (laughs) Wow, the rapture must be about to occur. I said, I can't believe this is awesome. They have just shared about three Christian books, and she said, this author is a man of faith. And I'm trying, and she talked about it, and I thought, dear God, that is so awesome what you were doing. I don't know who suggested that book to her, but somebody planted a seed. I, I, and so here's the thing. Got better. I mean, that's pretty good. They said, and we want, y'all know, everybody in our audience has taken these four books home today. I thought, yeah, plant the seed. Who would have thought the view would become an evangelistic arm of the kingdom? They gave these books away. And I promise you, these people are going to read them because they're fans of The View. And I thought, dear God, how amazing you are. How amazing you are. That you love us so much that there's no telling how many thousands heard those ladies and will go to a bookstore and buy this present darkness and you'll speak to the heart. Or they're stricken with grief and don't understand death and they're going to read the book by C.S. Lewis and something supernatural will happen. Guys, this is what we do. We become a part of a kingdom that just God wants to use us and send us out 
Because now I'm wondering, on Monday night, I wonder if we'll visit someone. They're going to say, you know, I heard about this book on The View. I go, yeah! And let me tell you about Jesus. Guys, I just want us to be a church that's available to the Lord. Open. Intentionally going out and trying to make a difference. Being a part of the plow, guided by the Lord, as a friend of mine would say in one of his songs. Just planting seeds and watering, leaving the results to God. And then the last thing, she discovered the Savior of the world. When he got through explaining how it really worked and who he really was, and when he says to her, oh, here's what she said, verse 20. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. That's the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. He said, I've been looking for answers. I've been waiting for him to come because I know nothing's worked. And here's what he says. I am, that's that's the same term used in Exodus, I am is here. The I am of the Old Testament, the I am that you're familiar with from the book of Exodus, from the life of Moses, the I am of Abraham, the I am of Jacob, the I am is here. I'm him. I'm he. I'm the one that's speaking to you. I'm the one you've been looking for all your life. I'm here. We don't know what else they said, but the disciples showed up. They'd gone shopping for food. They saw him talking to this woman. They said, I ain't going to say nothing about this. I wonder what he's doing. I don't know, but we ain't going to ask him. And, and, and she leaves her water pot and goes back to her town, walking up and down the sidewalks in the street and from store to store, she begins to tell people, please, you've got to come see a man who told me all about my miserable life, my failed life. And he transformed my life. I am not the same. You've got to come see this man. And she would share her story again and again and again. And people were going, man, what's this? What's, tell me what about this man. A man spoke to you? A Jew talked to you? Yeah. And he told me all about my life. Things that nobody can know but someone from God. And he said, and he told me about living water. And she shared her story. Can I tell you what faith does for you? Faith allows us to train you to share your story briefly. And then share how someone can know that relationship with Christ and have the living water come to them. That's what faith does. If you've wondered, man, we go out in teams of three and we, we, we watch God work, we, we, we pray with one another, we support one another, we build a bond. It's an awesome thing. And if you've never done it for the first time, I'd encourage you to do it. Second card, I'm a first-time person. Second-time person, I want to go and learn. I want to be ready when someone's talking about things they don't understand. I want to know that I have the answer that I can share and point them to Christ. You see, she discovered a Savior, and she left. I, I got to believe she, you know, I love what the choir sang today. and I, I got to believe she probably was singing something like this on the way back to town. How can I keep from singing your praise? 
how can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I am loved by the King and it makes my heart want to sing. She found something that's too good to keep to herself. Isn't that what knowing Christ really is all about? I got some good news I just can't keep to myself. I got to tell you about a man who loved me in spite of me. You go come see him. And the, and the Bible says that some believed her testimony and they trusted him based on testimony. Then others came to see him and after they heard him speak, he spent two days with them and they had this amazing revival because they began to believe and trust in the one that God had sent and they received the living water. That's spiritual water. And they never thirst spiritually again. You see, when you've come to the fountain of true life, you don't have to look for another fountain to drink from. That's all you need is Jesus. And we are a people called to go tell those around us throughout Lindale and Silver Creek and Rockmart and Cedartown and Rome. We want to tell you to come see a man. Can I tell you something? I think we do well. We, 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 people come to us sometimes at the workplace or at the ball field or wherever they may be or the next door neighbor and say, you know, I'm having a hard time. Life's hard. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't seem to get it together. I'm disillusioned with religion. I'm discouraged with my failures. I'm disappointed in my life. And you know what we say to them? Well, you need to go to church. No, they don't. Well, they do need to go to church, but that's not the first thing they need to hear. What an opportunity for you to sit down and say, let me tell you what's happened in my life. Let me tell you who has helped me deal with my disillusionment with religion and my discouragement with, with, with my failure and my disappointment with my life. Let me tell you about this person, Jesus. I want to talk to you about how he has changed my life. So you want to teach how to do your testimony. Just for such a time when someone wants to know and needs to know. Then you say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. I'd love for you to come to church with me. But guys, they need to hear about Jesus first and foremost because they may never come to this church. But they need to hear about Jesus. Now, if you want to make sure they really come to church with you, you ought to say, hey, let me share my story with you. Then I want you to come to church Sunday and we'll go out to eat afterwards and I'll pay. And I promise you they'll probably come. <laughs> That's one woman's story. One of many. We heard Elaine share her story. One of many What's your story? And shouldn't somebody hear it? Shouldn't somebody know what Jesus means to you? Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? My prayers this semester, we send people all over this place planting seeds and watering seeds that have already been sown that we may see a harvest of souls.